Welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. Let's read Acts chapter 2. Let's all stand, just uh, break it up. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read the first four verses, and uh, we're going to look at something tonight. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now... I know it's midweek, but would it be okay with everybody if we uh, talked about the Holy Ghost and fire? Is that too much for a midweek? I don't, you know, okay, let's talk about it then. Let's pray and ask God to help us, and we'll get into it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, your love, your mercy, your grace. And God, I ask now tonight that you would anoint my mouth to speak the word that you would like us to hear. Nothing more, nothing less. Anoint our ears to hear and receive it, God. I don't want to just hear the words, but I want it to find a place deep in my heart to begin to transform me. Give us that humility. Give us that sincerity, O oh God, to hear the word and respond to it, we ask. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, this event that we just read about was one that had been foretold from centuries prior. The Old Testament prophets saw it and spoke of it. It was a grand introduction to a new thing, a new thing. Talked about that on Sunday. You can't step into a new thing with an old mindset. But whatever you got to do to get rid of that old mindset, three-day fast, all-night prayer meeting, praying again and again and again and again and again until you start to think differently, whatever it is that you got to do, we got to get rid of that old mindset so that we can step into the new thing that God has already begun to do. And so God has been doing new things for thousands of years. I mean, he is the self-existent, almighty, eternal God, creator of heaven and earth, but he's always doing new things. So God is not a God that likes to be set in his ways. So we got to understand that. So if our God's like that, we can't be like that. Now, there are some things that never change. He, this is the funny thing about it. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord, and he never changes. That's in the book. But there's something else that's in the book. I make all things new. I'm doing a new thing. And so it, we, we got to look at it. This God never changes, but he likes to do new things a lot. Hey, God, only God, can transform. And so we have to, you know, look at that, understand it. And just like Acts 2, we read, this was a grand introduction to a new thing. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It was not, it is not, and it was never meant to be an isolated thing. This was the moment that we read in which the Apostle Peter would later declare those infamous words, this is that 
He's looking at this present moment where people are witnessing what's happening. There's something taking place. And he says, this right here is that in which the prophet Joel spoke about. And so Peter goes on to preach that message that we know in Acts 2. What we just read about was also what Jesus said in John 7.38, in which he declares, He, or the person that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Where do we get that? Where do we get this understanding, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water? Well, once again, we've got to understand God likes to do a new thing. He likes to do a restoration in the life of any person that comes to him. He doesn't want people to stay the same. He loves them as they are, but he loves them too much to let them stay the way they are. And so we look at this and we read in Jeremiah 2 verse 13 where God declares, my people have committed two evils. Everybody say two evils. One evil's bad enough. When you commit two, there's a pattern. It's not good. The first evil they committed, God himself says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God is saying, I am the fountain of living waters, and they have forsaken me. That's the first evil. The second evil is They've hewn themselves cisterns, but not just cisterns, broken cisterns. They didn't even do a good job. And these cisterns can't even hold any water. So they've forsaken me, and they've tried to do it on their own, their way. That's the second evil. And so Jesus comes to do a new thing, to establish a new covenant, a better way, and he's come to seek and to save that which was lost, which insinuates restoration, but not just restoration to take it back to the old, but to restore in such a way that it moves forward into something better. Because, he says, I make all things new. Um, and this born-again experience brings us into this new life. And so, Jesus in John 7, whoever believes in me, in me, out of that person that believes in me, their belly will flow rivers of living water, which ties back then to Jeremiah 2.13, where the people of Israel had forsaken their God who is the fountain of living water. So Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, insinuating Jesus is the fountain of living water. And if Jesus is the fountain of living water, then we find out that he is actually the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the creator God manifest in flesh, come to establish a new thing. And Jesus says, or we read in John 7, that that fountain of living water that he talks about is referring to the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. 
Well, we look at the word fountain, and the word fountain in that verse, Jeremiah 2.13, means source. They have forsaken me, the source of living waters. Jesus said, if you believe in me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. In other words, the source will cause a current or a stream of that living water to flow out of you. I am the source, and if you believe in me, I will cause some of that living water that I am to fill your innermost being and flow out of you. Not just in a one-time experience, though, but also in lifestyle. Experience and lifestyle. A moment and a lifetime. Both. Not one or the other. Both. You've got to have experiences with God. But those experiences with God strengthen you to then continue to live that life that he and only he can give you. So we understand that this life style or this spirit of God that would fill the believer is not meant to be a one-time experience like we read about the initial experience in Acts 2. Every person needs to have that initial experience that propels them into then a life of the spirit. What does that mean? Well, you can't have a current of living water flow out of you until you have an experience with the living water. So if there's ever going to be a flow, there first has to be an experience where you come into contact with the source. So that's why you have to have the experience. But then after that, you don't just live experience to experience. You build off of each experience to cause you to grow up into who God wants you to be. So it's not meant to be a one-time experience, but a spiritual new birth, new birth where the infilling of the Spirit of God empowers the believer to walk in newness of life. The key word there actually is walk. And so that experience, new birth, causes you to be able to come into this new life, but in order to live this new life, you have to walk. It is a flow of the Spirit in the life of the believer. A flow. Everybody say flow. A flow of the Spirit in the life of the believer. They'll never thirst again. Never thirst again. Because the source puts something in you of himself, his spirit, that allows that river of living water to continually flow out of you if you stay connected to the source. The only reason why a river would be dried up is if something blocked the source of the river. And then this side of the river would be dried up. So if something is cutting off the flow of the Spirit in your life, you may not like to hear this, but that's your fault. It's not God's, 
and it's not, well, this is just part of it, you know, I don't have to, I, I, I um, you know, I'm not as crazy for God as I used to be, because, you know, the, you know, no, there, there's no Bible for that. There's no Bible for that. That's our excuses so that we don't have to deal with the thing that has blocked the flow. So you are only thirsty if you want to be. You don't have to be spiritually thirsty a day ever again after you're born again of the Spirit. You don't have to be. Because any time you begin to feel the weight of this world begin to weary you, all you have to do is let the Spirit of God flow in your life again. Having a bad day, you don't have to wait till Sunday to pray through. Find a place in your home or while you're driving down the road. Whatever you do, all you have to do is open your mouth and call on His name and go to God in prayer. So... This, this Holy Ghost and fire deal is something that we need to look at and understand for ourselves all over again so that we are equipped with understanding and knowledge to be able to help those that we are reaching. This Acts 2 moment was also prophesied by John the Baptizer Matthew 3.11, John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, the audience he was speaking to. But he says that he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So We have to look at that. Now, believe it or not, Fire does not mean more passion. However, if you are baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, there will be passion. So we got to look at it. It's not more passion that we're pursuing. It's more of God. And when you get more of God, you get more passion. You get more spiritually passionate because you're passionate about things you love. That's the bottom line. So if you're not passionate about God, well, you may not love him as much as you think you do. And so we have to look at that, and we have to be willing to be honest with ourselves. Jesus said in John 14, 17 through 18, that even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But Jesus is saying about the spirit of truth, he says, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, Jesus said earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the truth, then the spirit of truth would be the spirit of Jesus. So when the Holy Ghost is poured out on somebody, it's not some third person of a triune Godhead it is Jesus in spirit form. That's what the, this book says over and over and over again. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so this inaugural day 
the day of Pentecost following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ would mark the beginning of a new life that is made available to every believer. A life filled with hope, power, grace, and supernatural help. And this is the life of a person filled with the Holy Ghost. There's nothing greater than it. There's nothing better than it. It is everything you need to get you from this life to heaven. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, if Jesus coming to you isn't enough to cause you to live an overcoming, successful spiritual life here on earth, there's, there's no other help for you. There's no other comforter, helper, power available out there. It's either Jesus or nothing. And so we have to look at it. That if we look at our life and we're like, well, this just isn't doing me as much good as I thought it would. Maybe it's not that Jesus is the problem. It's maybe you're drinking and then going 40 days without water and then drinking again and going 80 days without water. And you're like, this is hard. Well, yeah, it is. Because you keep cutting off the flow. So we have to look at this and understand that what John said, Jesus will baptize you and I with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It's a promise of a baptism of his presence, not just a touch. We like, you know, I need a touch from God. Why ask for a touch from God when you can get a baptism of the presence of God in your life in such an overflowing way that all of the issues and the problems in your life literally get washed away from this deluge of this living water of the Spirit of God. Why settle for a touch when you can get this source of living water that will flow out of you? It's like, oh, let me just take a sip. There's, there's nothing... There's no insinuation of spiritual sipping in Scripture. So, I, you know, I just need a sip. just need a touch. from. I don't want to put my antennas up too much because maybe the Holy Ghost will get a hold of it and I'll, I'll, uh, I may go all in. And if I'm all in, I have no control. If I have no control, yeah. I'm just calling out all the things we think of, whether it's really thoughts or just emotions. We've all done that. We've got to get to this point that we just break. Just, I'm done. I'm done playing games. I'm done just going through the motions. I want to get back to Jesus, all of Jesus, everything he has for me. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm wanting. That's what I'm hoping. And so we look at this and this Holy Ghost is a promise of a baptism of his presence, an immersion of his presence, his power and his purity. His presence, his power, and his purity. That's what you get when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll sanctify you and make you holy. You can't be holy without God. We've got to understand that. So we, we look at it, and after we've spent time living for God, 
It's not like his, his spirit that makes us holy and enables us to live a holy life is just spiritual training wheels. And once we've got it on our own, the Holy Ghost is like, all right, I'm done. Bye. Move on to somebody else. And then you just do it on your own from there on out. No, you need Jesus just the same amount today as you did the first day you were filled with his spirit and that mindset of surrender and dependence that you had when you were filled with his spirit the first time you need to have it the same amount if not more today so when we come into a service and we're gathered together we shouldn't have to be motivated to reach out to God and surrender to God it should be this natural response that I've come together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and together we're going to tap back into the source so that flow of ri the river of living water can continue to flow in my life. So he'll sanctify you, he'll make you holy, and you'll need him 30 years from now to make you holy just like you need him today. To make you holy. Any holiness that you achieve, so to speak, or reach in your walk with God, that's not your doing. It's only because you said, all right, Holy Ghost, make me holy. And you go, just say, you used to drink. And alcohol was a big deal in your life. And after the Holy Ghost, you're, you reach for the bottle and the Holy Ghost says, that's not for you anymore. That's the Holy Ghost helping make you holy. You see, you couldn't do that on your own. The Holy Ghost says that's not for you anymore. You go to that, that website or go to that place on your phone and, and, you, and you, you start to scroll and look at something that you shouldn't be looking at. And, and the Holy Ghost says that's not for you anymore. Because in my presence there is fullness of joy and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't look to anything else to be the source of pleasure in your life. I am. I can fill that void and it's only the Holy Ghost that can do that. Look to things, status, cars, houses, clothes to make me feel good. No, we don't need that. Dress nice, look put together for sure, <laughs> but uh, don't let that make your shoulders, you know, straight. Let the Holy Ghost cause you to lift up your head because the Holy Ghost has given you a new identity. This is the Holy Ghost, but the Bible says that he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So what does fire do? Well, fire purges of all impurities. Fire purifies. It gives heat. It gives light. Fire consumes and fire spreads. So can I say that if we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we should be pure. Ooh, got quiet. If we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we should be pure. For it is written that the pure in heart will see God. And so, uh, if we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we should be hot, not cold or lukewarm. 
For we read in Revelation, if we're cold or lukewarm, he'll spew you out of his mouth. We, we should be the light of the world if we're filled with the Holy Ghost and fire because fire produces light. It gives light. If we're filled with the Holy Ghost, the things of God should consume us because the presence of God has filled us. You can't be Holy Ghost filled, full of the Holy Ghost, and have no appetite for the things of God. If you have no appetite for the things of God, you may not be as full of the Holy Ghost as you think you are. That's just, <laughs> I mean, this is common sense stuff. Like, so we, we, we got to look at it again. If it, fire spreads, right? I mean, somebody give me a match. Let me just put these, this carpet up in flames. That'll help us get it swapped out quicker. Um, <laughs> I mean, this carpet's been through it. My Lord. I think this is the lab where coronavirus started. I don't, I mean, there's some sketchy stains here, but anyway, uh, I don't know. Lord help us. That's why we're all good. Our immune system's so strong. <laughs> I'll stop. Fire spreads. Well, if the Holy Ghost has filled us, Baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, this gospel should be spreading throughout our workplace, neighborhood, and city. It should be. So I ask you today, something to think about. Can you be full of the Holy Ghost, but not set on fire of the Holy Ghost? We don't see any account where Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost, and at a later date, I'm going to baptize you with fire. No, it's together. This came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and there sat upon each of them cloven tongues like as a fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit of God fell, and with His Spirit came fire because when the Holy Ghost falls, the fire also falls and there is a cleansing, a purging, a light, a boldness, a strength. Everything that fire does in the natural, it also does in the spiritual when the fire of God's spirit falls on a believer. So you look at the effects of fire in the natural, and then you compare it to the spiritual. And if you say, well, I don't think my life is really being affected by the fire of the Holy Ghost. What do you do, quit and go home? No. All you got to do is go back. Get full of the Holy Ghost. Again, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Part of the reason why we are to be filled with the Holy Ghost is witnesses. And witness, in this case, means evidence. You shall be evidence unto me, or you shall be evidence of me after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If we are filled with the Holy Ghost, but we don't give evidence of Jesus in our life, and our life does not give evidence of Jesus, are we as full of the Holy Ghost as we thought we were? Well, it came to church and spoke in tongues. Well, after that initial time, 
There should be more fruit evidence than language evidence. And so, if the Holy Ghost gives us power to be evidence of Jesus, then there should be evidence of the Holy Ghost in our life. So, in our life, is there righteousness? Which just means right living. Am I living right? What is living right? This book tells us what living right is. Whatever pleases God is living right. That's righteousness. And you can't achieve the righteousness that pleases God without the Spirit of God. No matter what we think, no matter how good we think we're doing, is there peace in your life? If not, maybe you need refilled with the Holy Ghost. Is there joy? Because righteousness, peace, and joy are found in the Holy Ghost. So if the Holy Ghost has filled you and the Holy Ghost is in your life, then there will be righteousness, peace, and joy. And we don't need to allow life to set up a roadblock in the flow of the Spirit of God in our life. Because if the flows stop, the peace stops. If the flow stops, righteousness stops. If the flow stops, joy stops. So what do we do? Backslide for 10 years? No. We just, the moment we recognize, hey, something's stopping the flow, what do you do? You go to God in prayer and you pull up that roadblock so that the flow can flow again. Because the moment the roadblock is pulled up, that river is ready and willing to flow again. So we look at this. Willful willful, unrepentant carnality and unrighteousness has no place in a spirit-filled believer's life. Worry, anxiety, and depression have no place in a spirit-filled believer's life. Negativity, doubt, and despair have no place in a spirit-filled believer's life. Because the Holy Ghost is meant to make you different. And everything I just mentioned are signs and signals of the old life. But the Holy Ghost gives you a new life. So if the things from the old life are in your new life, there's nothing different about your life. Therefore, what do you need the Holy Ghost for? If your life isn't any different, any better than it was before, why? What, what, what's the point? The Holy Ghost is meant to make you different. Scheming, conniving, skepticism, those are not descriptions of a spirit-filled believer's bio. Here we go. Gossip, lying, and manipulating are not a part of a spirit-filled believer's bio. The Holy Ghost is to purify you, and then empower you to be like Jesus and to turn the world upside down. We can't have a consumer Christianity mindset any longer. I want to eat this, and I don't want to eat this, and I'll believe this, but I don't want to believe this. No, no, we just need to make it real simple. The Holy Ghost is meant to be a river of living water flowing out of my life in the flow. What does the flow look like? Well, they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So if you resist the Holy Spirit in any area of your life, that disqualifies you from being able to say you're Spirit-led. But all you have to do to be Spirit-led again 
is to just stop resisting. Don't fight the flow. You could tweet that. Don't fight the flow. (laughs) As we look at this, we realize we cannot live a life full of the Holy Ghost simply because we prayed real good one time. Holy Ghost is powerful, but uh, that's not evidence of a flow. One time. That's like going to the river. I drank one time. I drank a whole gallon. I'm good for the rest of my life. No? So because we come to church on a Sunday and we may pray real good or we may not pray real good, we, we, we can't measure. This is the transition that we're working on as a church as we put other things in place to make our impact in this community and other communities consistent throughout the week. We can't measure our success based on a Sunday. But if it's dead on a Sunday, I am able to measure your success for the week. Because when it's, let's all pray, and it's like chirping birds out there, like just crickets. That, that's not, that's not um, I, I don't find that anywhere in scripture that that's what the early church was like. So this is to open our eyes to something that, no, we can't measure our success on a Sunday. But when we gather together and we don't look or sound like the people of God that we read about in this book, that means there's something off in the week that we allowed the flow to get blocked. Because when the Holy Ghost is seeking to move and you feel it in the spirit hit a brick wall, that means that wall needs to come down. And so how, how do we do this? How, how, do we, how do we get past that? It's very simple. And the, believe it or not, the Bible tells us what to do about it. It's what makes it so amazing. You can't live a life full of the Holy Ghost because you prayed through one time. Logically, I think we would all agree that, yeah, I know that. But we, how, do, how, do we, how do we move past that then, and how do we live in the flow? Well, Acts 1.14 says they prayed continually. Acts 2.1-4, they were in the upper room in prayer. Acts 2.42 says they continued constantly in prayer. Acts 3, Peter and John were headed to the temple to pray, even after the day of Pentecost. They prayed after the day of Pentecost. Uh, Acts 4.31, it says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken, but not before. Once they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. So it wasn't just one person. It was a group. And the only thing that was different between before the shaking and after the shaking was prayer. That's it. Just prayer. Where they were assembled together, the place was shaken, and then it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they spake the word of God with boldness. So we see they had a need. They, had, they were having some, some weakness. They were feeling intimidated. So what did they do? They prayed. And it says once they prayed, then the place was shaken, and then they were all filled, not some, all filled with the Holy Ghost, and after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they then spake with boldness. The progression, 
praying produces shaking, shaking produces a filling, and after the filling comes boldness. You, you don't want to try to move past the steps. First, pray. And if you keep praying, you're going to step into a new level of boldness. But if you want boldness, you've got to pray. You've got to pray with a passion. You've got to pray with a desire. You don't have to scream at the top of your lungs, but you do have to put your heart into it. And, and there's nobody ever that I've ever seen that was filled with a boldness and the fire of the Holy Ghost baptized them when they prayed like this. Because that's actually not praying. That's posture. But that's not praying. You see, in Acts 4.31, when they prayed and the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and then came boldness, you know what they were doing before all of that? You can read it. They were praying out loud. You know why they were praying out loud? You know how I know that? Because the prayer is recorded in Acts chapter 4. So this, this uh, I mean, you can't get boldness if you can't even put voice behind your prayer. Boldness isn't coming. And so there's got to be something. we got to break out of this, this, uh, this pressure that would seek to silence us. Because if we're silent, we can't be a witness. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not faith comes by writing and writing by the word of God. Or reading. Faith comes by hearing. How did the word spread like wildfire all throughout the book of Acts? People were going up and talking about Jesus. I know you worship this God and whatever. But let me tell you about this other God, Jesus. And I'm going to tell you about his whole life. And here's the kicker. He died, but he rose again. That means he has power over death. Your God doesn't have power over death. My God has power over death. And the only way people are going to hear about that stuff is if we open our mouth. But we can't open our mouth and share Jesus with people out there if we can't even pray and hear. And if we don't pray and hear with a passion, a sincerity, and a desire to, to get more of God... Boldness isn't going to come. So we, we have to look at this and understand if we want boldness, pray through. Get full of the Holy Ghost again. Acts 2, upper room, Holy Ghost moved in. They were filled with it. Acts 4, no doubt, some of the people in Acts 4, when they prayed and the place was shaken, were also people that were in the upper room in Acts 2. But in Acts 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost again. Meaning, it's not a one-time experience. I prayed through 30 years ago. I'm good. I mean, I have not been living through God for 30 years. And I can tell you I've needed more than one time. And in fact, you need more than one time each week. If you really want to get honest with yourself, you need more than one time each day. So, and this is the clue. This is the clue. We're all telling on ourselves. <laughs> this is the measuring stick. Everybody measure each other. It's okay. You hold, that's what the Bible talks about, um, edifying one another. It's not just, hey, you're a good person. You can do it. Like a weak 
spiritual cheerleader for Jesus, you can live for God. It's also like, hey, you seem like you're kind of slacking. Let's go pray. That's edifying because I'd rather someone help keep me in check spiritually than be too intimidated by me to be like, well, God loves them. Yeah, but if they don't get <laughs> prayed through, they're not headed down a very good path spiritually. Because if the flow's blocked, then all sorts of attacks of the enemy and, and just life and carnality can overwhelm them. So we got to understand that the only person we're hurting is ourself by not doing this. You're not hurting me. The only person you're hurting is yourself if, if you're not willing to remove the thing that would block the flow of the Spirit of God in your life. The only person that's being hurt by that is you. But the good news is, is by getting back into the flow, you literally have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Everything to gain. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. So, so just let go and pray through. Just let go and just pray through. You see, this is the truth. The ones who have a prayer life don't need pleaded with to pray. They'll run with it. They'll pray. They're not silent, bashful, insecure. They're just like, this is what I do. There was a woman at Parkway, the church we were at before. She is incredible. She's not there anymore. She's in Dallas. That woman had a prayer life. Every time I was around her, it caused me to go deeper. There was something about her that motivated me to pray more. And when I didn't feel like praising, because praise isn't based off your emotions, by the way. So if you come in, you're like, man, just don't feel like it. It's literally no excuse at all. Like Jesus isn't like, oh, baby, that's okay. You can try again next week. I understand. No, he's like, nope. I didn't feel like dying on the cross for you. At least you could do would give me a little praise, a little something. You know, I don't know if he says that or not, but I'd imagine he probably does. Um, but even when I didn't feel like it, she would go down there and she'd be worshiping. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I used to, God's brought me a mighty long way. That's all you need to know. And, uh, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I'd look at her and be like, why you got to praise like that? <sighs> then, the key is, though, is I didn't stay that way. I was like, ah, my God. She's doing the same thing every service. And sometimes, like, how you doing? Oh, I've had a bad week. You're praising the same way. Well, that's what we're all supposed to get to. It, you know, but we want sympathy sometimes and all of that. But, you know, the better sympathy is the hard love. Like, hey, get over yourself and get back into the flow of the spirit. Because if you do that, you're going to be better off anyway. So, so that, that lady just motivated me and my wife and in such a powerful way and she was very instrumental in the whole transition from us moving from there to here and in just powerful ways but there was one thing about her that you could always rely on she's praying 
and she's worshiping. And it doesn't matter what she's going through, what kind of deal she's facing, or anything. You can always count on Charlita Cloman to be giving God her best praise. And when no one else was praying, she's calling fire down from heaven. And many times, because one lady was just as consistent as the rising sun, she would usher in a move of God that would cause all the backsliders who show up every Sunday, but they're still backsliders, to begin to break finally. That's what we need at New Life. We need a core group of people that say, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what kind of week I've had, the condition of my mind, my finances, or my family. I'm going to worship God at all times, and I'm not going to stop until the fire falls. That's what we got to look at. That's what we got to look at. Sometimes it may take a little extra work, so to speak, for God to move, even though it doesn't. What it is, is we're breaking through our flesh. And sometimes God just wants to see, are you willing to do it without the encouragement of my presence? Are you going to worship me because of your revelation of me and not just the feeling of me? Because that's true praise then. I know who God is, I know what he's done in my life, and I'm just worshiping him because I know who he is. People that do this, they do this because they know this is where my strength is. This is where I break out. This is where I break through. This is where I go deeper. This is where I get my boldness back. I had a rough week. I had a hard time. But I know that through my prayer and my praise and me taking my own will and choosing to pull up that thing that would block the flow of the Spirit of God in my life, I am going to get restored in my spirit what this week took out of me. But if we do nothing, we just go further and further down. And then we believe, oh, God has forsaken me. God is mad at me. Well, how do you know? You haven't talked to him all week. Or what about these people that are always hearing from God? Probably because they're always talking to God. You spend time with him, he talks. So in a place of prayer, that's where the Holy Ghost and the fire falls and fills me and consumes me all over again. It's not a one-time event. It's continually continually why does it need to be continually there's a story that sums it up real nicely it says and as she watched the silversmith he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up he explained that in refining silver one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities the woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. And then she thought again about the verse that says, He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver, as found in Malachi 3, verse 3. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time that the silver was being refined. The man answered that, yes. He not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long 
in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. The Holy Ghost and fire is meant to baptize us in such a way that we need to make sure that we are so full of the Holy Ghost and fire of God that we are, the hotter it is, the better, because that means I'm becoming more and more pure. But when I go through fiery trials in life even, I don't need to think, where is God? Well, the silversmith has to keep his eyes on you at all times so that he knows your progression. And he knows that the job is done when he sees his image in you. But let me tell you what. If we're not content living a life full of the Holy Ghost, refilled, consumed and that flow of the spirit of God in our life rest assured one thing we're not being made in his image because if the fire has been put out in us there is nothing to transform us into his image and this book lets us know nobody that is not made in the image of God that is not transformed into the image of Christ is going to make it in heaven so Why do we need the fire of God to burn in us now? To purge us and sanctify us from eternal fire. Because either way, everybody's going to burn. And I would rather take my will and let it die on an altar and let the Holy Ghost and fire fall in my life and consume me and purge me and transform me now so that I can be like Jesus and spend eternity with him than the alternative. Which is why your prayer matters and your praise matters because that is where God is found in. God is in the praises of his people and God responds to sincere prayer. Acts 2 was a product of a group of people continually praising God and continually praying to God until the Holy Ghost fell. Well, we've been at service for 20 minutes and I feel nothing. So what? So what? Sunday was a weird day. It was a weird day. But we got to a place where I felt a liberty to a certain extent and a healing move of the Holy Ghost at the end. And you know how I could tell? Because some people's faces, the the Spirit of God was moving on them in such a way you could see it on their face. You saw the surrender. You saw this, this relinquishing of whatever it was they were giving to God. And that's what God wanted to begin with. He just wants you. And he will do in your life what only he can do. That's why I don't want it to be just a one-time experience. I don't want to just do it so I feel better. I want to do it so I can be better. And that's not based off of my emotion. That's based off of my desire. I want Jesus to baptize me with the Holy Ghost and fire 
and purify and refine me until he sees himself in me. That only happens in the lives of people who pray.